This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We said is a is amazing, amazing collection of biblical words and phrases the rabbis put together. They reflect a broad spectrum of personal needs, communal needs, Jewish convictions. And we say the, the Shemona Esrei, we address ourselves directly to Hashem. Directly to Hashem. And what is, what is difficult to attain is concentration. The hardest part is to focus. It's interesting. Today there's so much ADD, ADHD. Little kids running around. They go wild in class and they can't focus. So today they give them a little pill. You know, they give them a little bit of a, a pill. And they give them pills. And they uh, sort of calm them down. But how does a person focus their own mind? That's our problem. Our problem is, how do we focus our minds? And that is why tefillah is called avodah. It's called avodah. Avodah is work. work. What work is it? The answer is, it's work in the mind. It's so hard to focus. A person's got to focus the mind. So what happens is, as soon as a person gets into the Shemona Esrei, they get start getting different thoughts. You don't have to work at it. It just comes into your head, whatever's on your subconscious, whatever you're thinking about during the day, it comes into your mind when you pray. And the hardest work possible is to throw those thoughts out of your head and pray to God. It's so hard to pray and focus because just by thinking, all sorts of thoughts come in. There's tremendous amounts of interference. They're called mental interference. They come in. Uh, if you ever have a, a very bad radio, you get all the interference. You turn, try and tune in, and you get all the interference, and that's what happens when we try and tune in to God. We get a lot of interference in our heads. So the hardest part of the Shemunasri, the hardest part of prayer, is focus. The hardest part of prayer is to focus. How do we focus our minds? And that is, some person's got to work at it. They've got to start working at focusing our minds. The rabbis say, you know what, at least the first paragraph. At least the first paragraph, focus. And also, the third last paragraph, Modim Anach Nulach, focus. Two sections of the Shemona Esrei, person should try their best. Try not to leave without focusing. So what I do is, myself, I'm just telling you a little trick, um, is if I didn't focus the first paragraph, I just go back in my head and say it again. Mm-hmm. In my head. I don't say it loudly because you're not allowed to repeat it. It's a blessing. So I go back and I try not to leave that paragraph without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Blessed you, Hashem, God of Abraham, God of Yitzhak, God of Yaakov. This is our link to Hashem. To link oneself to God. Through our umbilical cord. The umbilical cord to God is our ancestors. Our ancestors are the link through God to God. So we have to link ourselves to God. And that's our introduction to God. So the outward forms are very simple. You just stand up and pray. You stand to pray. There's a big debate. Friday, Mashkenazim, do you shuckle? Do you not shuckle? Do you move? Do you not move? Some people move. I'm always moving, moving, moving. Don't. Do you, do you move forwards, backwards, sideways, whatever it is? You see some people, they're, sh- they're moving all over the place. It says, Rabbi Akiva, the Gemara says, would, would start in one corner and end up in a different corner of the room. <laughs> now, Rabbi Akiva, I mean, you can't, who could argue Rabbi Akiva? Uh, amazing, amazing. Why he was so busy in his mind, he wasn't aware of where he was. It says, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, it's an amazing story, he says he was caught by the Russians. He would live in Russia. He was the last, one of the last rabbis to leave Russia. In the bad days, under communism. It was, it was not allowed. Come on, his wife could not go to mikvah. There was no mikvah. There was no learning. There was no Torah. He wasn't allowed to teach Torah. So they put him in jail for teaching Torah. 
And it says over there, he says, I changed my minhag. Because they made me stand for hours at attention. He said, from that time on, when I pray, Shmonasra, I pray at attention like Sfargim. Stand to attention and prayer. He didn't move. He didn't stop moving. So he stood, he said, because I found that this was the highest level of concentration. Just stand straight. Because they made me stand for many hours at attention. So he changed his minhag. Interesting. But it's different minhagim. So why did the Ashkenazim shuckle? Why did they shake? So they based themselves on a verse in the Psalms. One of the verses of Psalms is, Kal atmotai tomarna Hashem mi chamocha. Oh, my bones will tell you, Hashem, who is like you. My bones will praise God. How do your brains, how do, you, no, brains, how do your bones praise God? And the answer is, they, that's the answer. The answer is when you shake your bones, that's the, that's the Ashkenazi opinion. The Sephardic opinion is to stand at attention like the, the Shulchan says, like a servant before their master. Like a servant before the master, just waiting for instructions. We pray with humility, with our head bent over, bent down, mm-hmm. praying to Hashem. He's the boss. He's the boss. I think the movement for me comes automatically. It's, me too. It's, it's, not, it's not conscious. It's, it's actually a debate. I told you, it's a halakhic debate. Some people say you have to move. Your bones have to praise God. How do your, brains, how do your bones praise God? You have to move. So it's not just, it's not just a natural thing. It's, you observe people around you and you start copying them. So anyway, so a person's going to try and move into a different dimension. It's so hard. You're praying. You're trying to reach Hashem. Where is Hashem? And the answer is Hashem is everywhere. But it's a high level of dimension. It's a spiritual dimension. You're leaving the physical dimension. You don't need a rocket. It's amazing. There's not rocket science over here. Today you need a rocket to reach the moon. You need a rocket to reach uh, Venus, Mars, whatever it is, and a different um, universe, galaxy. You need a, a rocket. You need a... In the Jewish system, it's amazing because you can go back in time even with your mind. Your mind is the entranceway to a whole new world. Your, your mind is the entranceway to Gan Eden. Where is Gan Eden? The entranceway is right in your head. Who says this? Rav Chaim Velozhin. Rav Chaim Velozhin says an amazing thing. He says, when it says Hashem put... Lahat HaKherev. What's Lahat HaKherev? The sword of fire. Where do you put it? The entrance of Ganed. You put two Kruvim, two Kruvim, two angels, Lahat HaKherev, with this sword that goes round and round with fire. So Rukhain Balaji says, where is that? What is that? Where is the entrance to Ganed? He says, the entrance to Ganed is our minds. And this Lahat HaKherev is what stops us from being able to concentrate. Our minds cannot stay still. That is the, the uh, sword, the flaming sword that stops the person from going through to the next yeah. level. Yeah. So our minds can go to the next level. We know prophecy is through meditation. That's the next level, meditation. The closest we can get to meditation is the Shemona Esrei. This is our meditation. Our prayers are our meditation. So unfortunately, we've lost these words. So you tell a person, come and pray, it doesn't have the same attraction as come and meditate. You tell people, come meditate, they want to come. Oh, yeah, med- meditation, <laughs> sure. Let's come to meditate. They don't realize prayers are meditations. That's what they are. When you pray, you're trying to meditate. That is, the, that is the problem. The problem today is people don't know what they're doing when they pray. When you pray, you are meditating on a higher level. You're trying to reach a higher level with your mind, trying to actually talk to God. So a person should feel uplifted after they pray. Because literally, you're going up the ladder. That is Jacob's ladder we talked about. Going up to see Hashem. Going, climbing the ladder, you go forward three steps. You're climbing up the different levels. The Kabbalists say you're climbing up three different levels of dimensions. There are four dimensions. The Asiya, 
Asiya, Yetzirah, Bria, and Atzilut. Four levels. So we are now in the Asiya. We're climbing up to the Yetzirah, Bria, Atzilut. And we're going to talk to God. And then we come down three steps. Three steps back. So we're actually going to different levels and dimensions with our prayers. It's so hard to even think about this. But it adds a lot to a person's prayers when you know you're actually trying to reach high levels. Trying to climb the ladder. Trying to reach Hashem. Is that why before we start, we walk forward three steps and then walk That's a Kabbalistic reason. Kabbalistic reason, exactly. There's, there's three different reasons. Let's just try and give the three reasons of why we go forward and back. The Benish Hai says, a very beautiful reason. He says the Jews at Matan Torah, when they got the Torah, what does it say? It says they all ran away. They were so scared, the Midrash says. The Midrash says, not in the Torah, the Midrash says they ran away. How far did they run? They run three parsaot, three kilometers back. They were so terrified. Imagine. You see the mountain on fire, you hear the noises, and you see the thunder and lightning. What would you do? Imagine, we have to prepare for this. Because eventually when there's going to be another revelation, there's going to be a massive revelation. When Hashem comes, the next time when the Mashiach comes, there's going to be a massive revelation. It's going to be, a, it's going to be even greater than Har Sinai. If we're not ready for it, we're all going to... Goodbye. It says the Jews all died at Har Sinai, and the angels had to come and revive them. Because they just couldn't... Our minds are not built for this. Uh, it's just... It's mind-shattering. See, God, revelation. See, revelation. They all ran away. So that's a Rebbe Nishai says, we run away from God. If you, if you can imagine, God is right here, we run away. And we go forward again three steps. So we go back, we run away, we come back. Slowly we come back to God, to meet God. So that's a little bit of a... person got to really feel, I'm having a meeting with God. But I'm scared stiff, how can I meet with God? So I run away three steps, and I come back three steps. So that's number one. Number two is, there's a beautiful Midrash about Nebuchadnezzar. Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Who is Nebuchadnezzar? No, king of Babylon. King of Babylon. Which time? How, how long ago was that? 580-something BCE. BCE. About 600 BCE. 600 BCE. What did he do? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? What did he do? He destroyed the Beit Hamikdash, the first one. He destroyed the first temple. He comes and conquers Israel and destroys the temple. Was that nice? Not nice. It wasn't nice. But he had merits. What was his merits? So the rabbis say he was the secretary to one of the great Assyrian kings. In those days, the Assyrians were the power. The Assyrians got rid of the northern kingdom of Israel. The lost ten tribes. That's the last today. Who ruined the ten tribes? Who got rid of the ten tribes? The answer is the Assyrians. Not the Assyrians, the Assyrians. Just north and east of Syria. The Assyrians came from north and east of Syria today. From that Turkey-Iraq uh, border. That was a great, a great empire, the Assyrians. And the Assyrians came, and they took away the ten tribes. The king of Assyria had a secretary. His secretary's name was Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the king of Assyria heard that the, the king of Judah, Hezekiahu, Hezekiah, was sick. He said, you know what, kings between the two, they, he wrote him a letter, nice letter, in the honor of the king of Israel, of Judah, Hezekiah, in the honor of the God of Israel. That was the way they, they wrote to each other. I wish you a refuah shlema. One king to another. So it says that Nebuchadnezzar was the secretary, but he wasn't there that day. And when he saw the copy of the letter, he ran after the messenger to stop him. said, you forgot. You should have put God first. 
So Nebuchadnezzar runs after him and says the angel came to stop Nebuchadnezzar from running. Because Nebuchadnezzar was getting merit for every step he ran to stop that letter. Imagine, every step he ran was to stop God's name from being second on the list instead of first on the list. The rabbis say the same thing about Shem. Shem and Abraham, they meet. What is Shem and Abraham? What do they tell each other? Anyway, so the same thing. They put... They put <laughs> Okay, have a look it up. Look it up. Look it up for homework and see where they put Hashem in the, in the list. Right? Because have a look. It's very interesting to see the, the, the discussion between Abraham and Shechem. These are great spiritual leaders at that time. Shem and Abraham. And when they meet, they have a little bit of an introduction to each other. It's very, very interesting to see how the word Hashem, where is Hashem in that, in that introduction? Is it the first or is it the second? Have a look at that uh, for homework. But just see over here that Nebuchadnezzar gets tremendous merits for, for walking three steps. So we also walk three steps to counter the merit of Nebuchadnezzar. We walk forward three steps to, to, our, to meet Hashem before we pray as a counter to the three steps of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so we had two reasons so far, right? Two reasons so far. Uh, the Amida has said while facing the direction of Israel we face Israel whenever we pray so it's interesting where do the Muslims face when they pray Mecca that's a very big proof that's a very big proof for us that Israel for us is central Jerusalem for us is central because all our prayers face Jerusalem their prayers do not face Jerusalem their prayers face Mecca so Mecca for them is number one Jerusalem is number three so we pray facing Jerusalem, we pray facing the Temple Mount, we pray facing the Holy of Holies, we pray facing the Holy Ark in the Holy of Holies. We should have things in our heads when we pray. Number one is, I'm praying to Israel. Before you pray, this is before you start the Shemot Ezra. You to think, Eretz Israel, Yerushalayim, Bet HaMikdash, on top of the Kaporet, between the Keruvim. It says when Moshe Rabbeinu would, would be there, God would speak to Moshe from between the the Kruvim. Between the Kruvim. Imagine he would hear a voice from between the Kruvim. That's interesting, between the two angels. So what does that mean? In fact, one of the biggest questions we have is, Judaism is very much against any images. Right? The Torah says, in the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, it says, you will have no graven images before me. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you find the temple, you find Kruvim. What are the Kruvim doing there? So this is one of the major questions of, of theology. Why, what are the Kruvim doing in the Beit Midash? We don't believe in images. In fact, if you go to Beit Midash, there's no images. The only thing you'll find over there, close to an image, is the two angels over the Aron HaKodesh, with their wings over the Aron HaKodesh. What are they doing there? So one of the commentaries says, I can't remember which one, he says, to remind us that we're praying to a spiritual realm. God is in a spiritual realm. We're praying to God in the spiritual realm. We're trying to reach, reach our prayers up higher. Like climbing the ladder of Yaakov through to a spiritual realm. So the angels represent a different dimension. That's that's the concept. The concept is we should not think that you know God is just local. And God is here and he's a physical God. No, it's a spiritual realm. We're trying to reach the realm of the angels. We're trying to reach higher. That's the point. So there are angels over there to tell us we're trying to reach our minds holier. Our God is holier. And we're reaching higher. So the voice of God would come from right between those two angels. It's a hint that there's a higher level, there's a higher you know, it's interesting that this world is just uh, one of the worlds. It's, uh, it's one of the worlds, one of the lowest levels of the ladder. And there's worlds above this, worlds above this, world. So that's represented by the kaporet, by the angel on top of the kaporet. 
So we, before you, before you even start, you're going to think, Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim, Beit HaMikdash, Kodesh HaKodeshim, Holy of Holies, and above the Kaporet, over, over there. That's where I'm praying to. So it's very, very important. How do we know this? Because Daniel. Who was Daniel? Daniel and the lion's den. Everyone knows that. Which king? Who was the king? Darius. Darius, the first of Persia. The, per- the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And just before that, it says that they saw a handwriting in, this, in, the, in the feast of Belshazzar, right? Who is Belshazzar? The grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He's having a feast. On the 30th of his reign, he made a massive party. And he invites all the nobility to his party. In the middle of the party, they see a handwriting on the wall. Remember that? Nope. It's, it's a saying in English, the handwriting on the wall. And the hand wrote how many words on the wall? Quickly. How many words they write on the wall? Four words on the wall. What are the four words on the wall? Mene, mene, tekel afarsin. Mene, mene, tekel afarsin. So no one knew. No one knew what it meant. So they said, call Daniel. Daniel will tell us what it means. They bring Daniel. And Daniel says, the Persians are coming to destroy you today. What a message. Come on, in the middle of the party, having a big party. Come on, <laughs> and you know what happened? Two soldiers didn't even wait for the end of the party. They just killed the king right there. Belshazzar, they killed him. And they took his body to the king of Persia, which was outside the city. But his, but his, uh... So in the middle of the party, can you imagine, the guy's making a party. It says in the middle of the party, they brought all the vessels from the temple. That's why God killed him. They're having a party with the golden vessels from the temple. So Nebuchadnezzar conquered the temple, took out all the gold vessels, took it to Babylon. He's having a party now with all the gold vessels. He died in the middle of the party. So what happens is uh, uh, Darius the first. Darius the first, he hears that Daniel was the one who predicted that the Persians are coming. Brilliant. He says, I want Daniel to be my minister. He's going to be my minister. All his wisdom is going to be in that mind now. And all the other ministers got jealous of Daniel. And they said, King, make a law. Everyone has to pray to you. No one is allowed to pray to anything else for 30 days except to the king himself. You are the God now. Imagine. So, okay, why are, they, why are they doing this? They want to get Daniel into trouble. If anyone is caught praying to any other God, into the lion's den. And Daniel was praying. Where was he praying? By his window in the attic facing Yerushalayim. Not only that, but he left the window wide open. Everyone can see him. Imagine, he's facing... The king says no one's allowed to pray to anyone else. And he's in the attic, in his attic, praying, facing Jerusalem. That's where we learn out that you have to face Yerushalayim when you pray. We learn from Daniel. And sure enough, they caught him. And they say, Daniel, bring it to the king. Daniel says, the king says, who are you praying to, Daniel? So I'm praying to my God. He's the God who created everything. He even created you. He said, okay, I hope your God will, will save you from the lion's den because that's it. I can't change the, I can't revoke the decree. The decree is whoever prayed to any other God has to be thrown to the lion's den. So they took him, they put him in the lion's den, and the king that night could not sleep. It says he really loved Daniel. I said, I hope the God of Daniel has saves him. <laughs> I hope the God of Daniel will save him because he believes, he believes in that God. And he wakes up early in the morning, runs to the lion's den, and they find the lions are just sitting around Daniel like little cats, pussy cats. <laughs> miracle, miracle, yeah. miracle. They take him out, and they throw in all his accusers. And sure enough, the lions were not pussycats anymore. It was terrible. <laughs> disaster. But anyway, but that's the story of Daniel lies then. What do we learn from there? We learn from there that when you pray, you have to face Yerushalayim. Daniel was facing Yerushalayim. He was in the window facing Yerushalayim. That was the faith of Daniel. Great Daniel. Some people say Daniel continued through to be the 
in Minister of <coughs> Esther called Hatach. Hatach was Daniel. According to some opinions, Hatach was Daniel. If the story of Purim will find Hatach, Esther trusts him to go and talk to Mordechai. That was Daniel, some people say. Okay, so, Allah Shalom with Daniel, the great Sadiq. Okay. So that's why the Ark and the synagogue is facing Yerushalayim. You put the Ark on the wall facing Yerushalayim because that's the way you face. You face facing the Ark and you face facing Yerushalayim. If you don't know where to face, say you're on a boat, you're on a, you're on a plane, yeah, you have no compass over there, which way are you going to know? And the answer is, you think in your head. Your thoughts are very important. Your thoughts fix your compass. My prayers are going towards Yerushalayim. They're going to the Beit HaMikdash. So we stand with our feet together, we stand to attention, out of respect. And we base ourselves on a verse in Yechezkel, Ezekiel, who was around the same time as Daniel, the prophet. Ezekiel was also a prophet, and he had the famous Merkava vision. The Merkava is the chariot of God. Don't take it literally, God has no chariot. But it's a, it's a vision, it's a very Kabbalistic. There are two big parts of the Torah which are Kabbalistic. The two major parts of the Torah. Number one is creation. The creation story. The creation story is not to be taken literally. Unfortunately, when people take it literally, on the first day this, before that, it's not talking about, it's talking about very deep concepts. Very, very deep concepts. And not to be taken literally. So people read it like a baby's story. The first day God created this. It's good for babies. It's good for children. But it's very, very deep. And that's why it's interesting. The simpler the parts of the Torah, the higher, the higher level they are. The deeper they are. And therefore the first part of the Torah, which is the creation story, is ma- called Maaseh Breshit. There's two secrets in the Torah. Maaseh Breshit and Maaseh Merkava, which is in the book of Ezekiel. First chapter. So those are two secrets. And that's the Merkava. And the Merkava vision, he sees angels. Ezekiel sees angels. And it says, V'raglehem regal yeshara. And their feet were like one straight foot. And that's why I put our feet together. Our feet should be together so that they could appear like one foot. So when one stands to speak to God, we stand like the ministering angels. That's amazing. Um, so we're standing, we're, like the, we're copying the angels. We're putting our feet together like the angels. So we have to face God. When we pray, we have a whole posture, face God, and we pray quietly, which is very interesting. Why do we pray quietly? Any ideas? Why do we pray quietly? Because of Hannah. Hannah, very good. Right. Hannah, who is Hannah? Can you tell us a little bit of a background? Who is Hannah? Shmuel's mother. Shmuel Hanavi's mother, Samuel the prophet's mother, and we read her story on Rosh Hashanah. Which day? Second. First day of Rosh Hashanah or Haftarah. The first day Haftarah of Rosh Hashanah is the story of Hannah. The second day is from the chapter of Yirmiyahu. Second day of, of Haftarah. But the first day is Hana. Why Hana on the first day of, of uh, Rosh Hannah? Because her prayers were answered. Because we pray about women whose prayers were answered. Rosh Hashanah. Right. Number one was Sarah. She had a baby. First day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of the birth of Yitzchak. And we read in the Haftarah the story of the birth of Shmuel. Hana was the one on which we base our prayers on. Imagine, a woman founded our prayers. Our prayer book was invented by... Hannah. The Shmona Esrei was invented by Hannah. Not the Shmona Esrei, but the way she prayed. Hey. How did she pray? So it says that there was a, there was a high priest. His name was Eli. 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 No, Eliyahu, just Eli. 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 
with an ayin, right? Ayin lamed yud. Eli with an ayin lamed yud, not Eli with an aleph lamed yud. He wasn't sure of Eliyahu. Eli. He had his own name. Eli. Eli was a high priest. And when he saw Hannah, Hannah was praying like no one else had ever prayed like that. I mean, he'd never seen anything like it. That's what it seems. Which is very strange. Also, we have to understand why. Huh? He thought she was drunk. He thought she was drunk. Why? Because her mouth was moving, but she couldn't hear anything. No one prayed like that before. See a guy. Huh? Why did they pray aloud? Why did they? Yeah. Because, listen, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to you. I talk to God the same way I talk to other people. Where she said, listen, God doesn't need to hear. God knows what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and in fact, that is a very, very important philosophical question. If God knows what you're going to say, why, why speak anyway? Just think. God knows what's in my mind. So the answer is that they give is that action is also very important. Because there's different levels of doing mitzvot. So we need action. Action is the key to a mitzvah. A deed. A deed has got to be a deed. How do you make something into a deed? And the answer is you do, you do something. So the least you can do is move your lips. So it says her lips were moving. She, she was brilliant, this woman. Her lips were moving, nothing was coming. He couldn't hear what So he thought she was drunk. He misunderstood the letters, no? Yeah, it says the letters on her. He asked his breastplate. He asked the Urim Tumim. The high priest has to wear a Hoshen. Hoshen has 12 stones. On each stone is written one of the names of the tribes. And those letters would light up. And he asked the question, the letters would light up. And the letter came back, Kafshin Reshe. And you can read it different ways. And the trouble is, the, the high priest got to know how to read it. It's like the letters light up, you got to read the letters, and you got to jumble, the letters are jumbled. How do you put them together? So, so he's, he read it, Shin Kaf Reshe, Shikura. But really it was, Kafshin Reshe, Kashira, or Kasara. She's like Sarah, or she's like Kashira. Anyway, that's the that's the Gemara Brachot. But anyway, but that we learned from her how to pray. Your lips should move, no sound. Your lips should move, no sound. There's actually a debate between the Kabbalists and the Pashtanim. The Shukhana says your lips should move and you should whisper and you should hear it. Now Rizal says you should move your lips and nothing should come out. You yourself should not hear yourself. So we learn it anyway. We learn it all from from Chana. Either way, from Hannah, because Ellie couldn't hear what she was saying. So even if you whisper, no one else should hear you. Though there's an exception, however, there's an exception. Shukran says if it helps you in your kavanah, if you're louder. For example, if you're praying home, if you're praying in a shul, you can't be loud. You don't want other people to hear you. What you're praying for, we don't want you to uh, stop other people from having concentration. And there's a guy here who has a very loud whisper. He goes, <laughs> it's terrible, it's disgusting, it's so terrible. You can't focus. You go, <laughs> So a person could whisper nicely, sweetly, softly, no one could hear you. Um, but if you're at home and there's no one around, like I say, women are very, very lucky, pray at home. You don't need a minion. You pray at home, you can scream. It helps your kavana, it helps you to focus on the words. Then you can say it as loud as you want. However, it's not honorable to God to scream. Why? It's like God can't hear me. Where do we see this? In the story of Eliyahu Navi. Right no, it was when Moshe got angry. I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Eliyahu Navi on Hara Carmel, on Mount Carmel. Oh, yeah, with the rain. What happens with Eliyahu Navi on Hara Carmel? He, he was praying for rain. He has a spiritual duel with the prophets of Baal. Right. Who could bring fire from heaven to burn the sacrifice? Can you imagine. 
So here's the prophets of Baal, 400 prophets. The queen of Israel was from Tyre, from the north, from Lebanon. Her name was Isabel. Isabel. We get Jezebel. Isabel. I think she was Spanish. Isabel. Yes. <laughs> right, it's a Spanish name, right? She was the wicked queen who threw out the Jews from Spain. Isabel. Amazing. So we, she, was, she was happened. It's interesting how the names are attached. They're both wicked, boy. They are really evil. Isabel was the wife of Ahab, who was the king of Israel. She was a convert from the north, from Sur, from Tyre. Obviously, it was a very quickie conversion. She was not really Jewish. She brought her own idols in Baal. She was a worshiper of Baal. Baal Zavuv, God of the flies, Lord of the flies. And she had 400 prophets. She killed all the true prophets. Eliyahu was the oh. last one. Ovadia uh-huh. hid 100 prophets in his cave. <clears throat> But why, why was he hiding them? Because she was, she was going to kill him. She wanted to kill him. So, uh, Eliana B. said, you know what? I'm going to make a spiritual duel. We're going to make uh, two. You guys will go first. 400 prophets of Baal, bring a sacrifice, and let fire come from heaven and burn your sacrifice. Okay? They're crying, they're screaming. He says, shout louder! Maybe your God, they can't hear you! <laughs> so that's what we see over there. Shouting to God is like a symbol that God can't hear you. Your God is hard of hearing. Maybe he can't hear you. So he mocked them. He came out the whole day. He's mocking them. They're trying their best. They're praying. They're there. It says they even had a guy crawl into the pit under them, into, under their <laughs> altar to try and light the fire. So the light, fire would come like from heaven. And he's there. And, the, and he says he got bitten by a snake, the guy. So anyway, Elijah comes along. He says, pour water around my altar. Pour water on the altar. Make a trough around the altar. Fill it with water. And fire came from heaven, and and all the Jews said, Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem Hu Elokim, which is how we end off our services on Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. We say it seven times, but they said it twice. Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem Hu Elokim. God is the God. We recognize God. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long, and Eliyahu had to run away before the queen would kill him. So Isabel wanted to kill him, she wanted to kill him, she ran away. He ran away. If we learn over there that what? It's not good to shout. It's a mockery of God to scream at God. You know, God, God can't hear you. What do you mean God can't hear you? We don't whisper. We don't even whisper. We just say it very softly so that no one can hear us and God can hear us. God can read our minds. He doesn't need us. So why do we move our lips? To make it into an action. We move our lips in order to make an action. It's not enough just to think. You have to make it into action. So, and also we don't want to disturb anyone else's contradiction. So that's a bit of courtesy. We have courtesy to God. And we courtesy to other people. Okay, so that's a very important idea. The idea of courtesy and being quiet and praying quietly. So that, that's a private, quiet Shmonasre. And then following that we have a repetition. Why in the synagogue do we have a repetition? Why do we repeat everything? In case somebody does not read. A lot of people in those days... In those days, right. there were no Sidurim. It was oral. Imagine, the prayers were oral. The first Sidur was written down in the year 800 CE by the Gaudium. There were no Sidurim. Imagine. That's why the Gemara says, if the Chazad makes a mistake and he can't continue, you bring another Chazad. What do you mean he can't continue? And the answer is, sometimes you get mixed up in a place. If you're reading from your own mind, you're mentally just following along mentally. Sometimes you get so mixed up, you just don't know where you are. Someone else has to take over. See, if someone tells you, oh, we're over here, it uh, uh, doesn't help. 
Because the guy's totally mixed up. He doesn't have a book. So in those days, he had no books. Imagine. Imagine being the Hazam with no books. Amazing. It's amazing. So therefore, definitely on the holidays, people didn't know the prayers. Thought one prayer. One guy would sit up, stand up, pray, repeat the prayers for everyone else. Most people had to be... Today, we're lucky. We have Siddurim. And even then, people can't read. So you read in English. There's no excuse today. Today, a person can pray... There's so many books in different languages. You'll find something. You'll definitely find something. There's no difference. But in those days, people couldn't read, or they never had books, and therefore it was repeated in the entirety for benefit of those who were not able to recite it properly. So by listening and answering Amen, they fulfilled their obligation. There's a special uh, line in Hebrew to tell you what happens. It's called Shomea Keone. Listening is like speaking. For example, the Kiddush, right? One person says a kiddush, and you listen, and you fill the obligation. One person can say a bracha, and everyone else can fill the obligation hearing the bracha. So shomea keode. Hearing is like speaking. And that applies in the Shemona Esrei when it's repeated. There's only one Shemona Esrei which is not repeated. Which one is that? Arvid. Arvid. Why is Arvid not repeated? So we said it before, Arvid is a reshut. It's optional. Thank you. It's optional. So shacharit and mincha is obligatory. And therefore, you need repetition. And Arvid is not obligatory, and therefore, it's a reshoot, and therefore, it's not uh, repeated. So, we talked about three different well, sections. Part of it is on Friday. Pardon? Part of it is on Friday. Friday is a special exception. And the reason for that is because in those days, it's very interesting, people don't know this history, is that Jews were not allowed to pray in a side of town. You know what I imagine? Well, You're not allowed to have a synagogue in a town. The pagans in those days threw the shul outside the town. Mm. You want to pray to your God? Outside. Go outside in the fields. Come on, they would go in the fields with no lights. It was very, very dangerous. Especially Friday night. Friday night they would go in the fields and pray to bring in Shabbat in the fields. So they pray early. It was too dangerous. So the rabbi said, you know what? People come late and people are staying late. We want to allow them time to catch up. We're going to make a short form of the repetition to allow them time to catch up. And this that's the reason for the repetition in, the, in Shabbat. That's the literal, that's the pshat reason. Wow. Simple reason for the repetition of Friday night is well, what's new, no, nothing is new, and people come late to shul. What can I tell you? So for those people who come late to shul, we give them time to catch up, and they, they can walk back with everyone else. They shouldn't be left in the fields by themselves. It's dangerous. Yeah. So, so now we are going... So we talked about the first three blessings of the, of the Shimon Esrei. The first three blessings are, let's go through them. Number one is Magen Avraham. God is the shield of Avraham. We talked about that last time. Number two is Atagibor Leolam Hashem. Mechayimetim. Thank you, God, for revival of the dead. And we say that is one of our 13 principles of faith. You know, the Raman got into trouble. The Raman got into big trouble because at the end of Hilchot Teshuvah, he brings down, he talks about Olam Abba. has a whole section on Olam Abba. What is Olam Abba? Very interesting. If you want to read it, it's at the end of Hilchot Teshuvah. Uh, the world to come, he talks about the world to come, but he does not talk about the revival of the dead. So a lot of rabbis attacked him. Say, hey, look, he doesn't believe in the revival of the dead. You see that? That's Rambam. So he wrote a whole book called Ma'amar Tiyatamitim, saying about the revival of the dead, which you hope, imagine you have a whole book. The whole section of Rambam, which is not in the book of the Rambam, it's a sec- separate book called Ma'amar, together with him. I do believe in the revival of the dead. And he puts that as one of the 30 principles of faith that Jews believe in, that we believe that the dead will come back. 
literally, which means it's a bit of spooky, right? You go to the cemetery, you'll see everyone popping up. I like the vision of Ezekiel when he sees the Valley of Dura and he sees all the dry bones, and God says, Do you think these bones will live? And he gives the best answer possible. What does he say? <coughs> if you will it, Hashem. And you're shrine first, right? Yeah, you're first. <coughs> in fact, some people say only in Israel, which means all our bones will have to go underground. That's the famous Midrash on Yaakov Venus. says, why did Jacob make the, his brothers make all the sons bury him in Israel? So Rashi says, number one is, he didn't want his body to be, to be worshipped by the Egyptians as a god. The Egyptians believed he was a god. Because as soon as he came to Egypt, the rain started falling. It broke the famine. So number two is that his body shouldn't be made into earth and, and they'll make it into idols. And number three is that his body won't have to go underground to Israel to, to be revived. It's like very painful to be go in subterranean passages, your body go underground. So. Sorry, did you say Yosef? Yaakov. Yosef also. Yeah, he was in the water. He told them to also to take me out of Egypt. So, yeah. What sure. about the other brothers? So it says, the Midrash says, they also came out. The Midrash. In fact, uh, just well, a few days ago was the was the outside of Ruven. Thursday night was the outside Ruven Ben Yaakov. So they come out and have a outside. Um, I went to one of the caves. It's outside Beit Shemesh. One of the one of the brothers. I think Dan. Dan is buried just outside Beit Shemesh. I was there. That's what they say. Dan Ben. ben. It's interesting to see. Dan Ben Yaakov. So beautiful to see. Dan Ben Yaakov. They carried all the Shvatim. Apparently, that's the midrash says they took him out. It makes sense. Why would they yeah, just take out Yosef? Every tribe would take out their leader. I think. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Who else did I see? When I was in in Tiberia. Oh, the wives of Yaakov, Bilha and Zilpa. Oh. Very strange. Wow. Very. I don't know. It says over there the wives of Yaakov, Bilha and Zilpa in Tiberia, of all places. Why were they in Tiberia? I don't know. I don't know if they're really there. It's, it makes a lot of money. I mean, the guys go everywhere. Goes there. It's a, there's a big yeshiva on top. Amazing. amazing. Bilha and Zilpa. So it's nice to see. I don't know if it's true, but all these graves. So, so what do you have? We have the blessing in Magen Abraham, uh, the shield of Abraham. You have the Magen Etzib. The dead will get up. Revival of the dead, which is like the greatness of God. You are great, Hashem. One of the things that make God great makes the rain fall, <coughs> makes the wind blow. <coughs> he make, he heals the sick. He takes out the prisoners, like he took the Jews out of Egypt. That's the greatness of God. And finally, he makes the the dead come back to life. Now we come to the middle section, and uh, the first thing we pray for is knowledge, wisdom. Knowledge is the the key to all spiritual and material progress. Knowledge makes repentance possible. A person is ignorant, doesn't matter what they do, they'll never say for sorry. It's one of the sides of us with a little bit of brains. A person with no brains will never say sorry. You know why? Because I'm always right. I have nothing to say sorry for. Because they don't think further than what they did. I did it, it's done, goodbye. That's it. There's no changing it. I, I did it already, it's already passed. It's passed already. A person with brains will say, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe I can say sorry. Maybe I can try again. That's a person with brains. So it needs brains. We need brains for everything. For any kind of spiritual and physical and material progress, a person needs brains. The first thing is a person has to have brains. And even a person with brains makes mistakes. 
Imagine. Even with brains, we best brains make mistakes. So that's why the next bracha is Bring us back, Hashem. You bring us back. We all make mistakes, but we don't have opportunities to admit our mistakes. We don't want to admit our mistakes. You bring us back, Hashem. So first comes brains. First comes dat. We talked about Chachma being Adat, right? We talked about it last week. We said Chachma is the spark of inspiration, which is what the professors try and get. Eureka, the Eureka moment. The Bina is applying the wisdom. And Dad is to know the difference between two different things. Dad is the ability to, do, to distinguish. That's Dad. Dad is the ability to distinguish. And now we come to the re- repentance. Bring us back to your Torah, Hashem. It's a beautiful way of saying it, right? And say, give me brains, give me learning, help me the Torah, give me the Torah. Now bring us back to your Torah. Like the Torah is part of us, and we moved away from the Torah. Now we have to come back to the Torah. Now it's interesting, because today, who would have think about it? Anti-Semitism has come back. Anti-Semitism has come back. I find that you... I ran out of steam. I ran out of steam. Okay. Okay, So anti-Semitism has come back. And amazing. I thought I've seen it all, right? You think you've seen it all. You have the white supremacist. Now you have the black supremacist. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Black supremacist. You would think that the blacks and the Jews would be would be together. Why? Because the anti the, the white supremacists want to kill us both. The blacks and the Jews. No, now the Jew, blacks are against Jews as well. Doesn't make sense. So we have a whole gamut of people now against Jews, anti Jews. So you have the black white supremacists, you have the black supremacists. The only thing so far we don't have is, thank God, Asians. the Asians don't hate us. Then, Muslims, that. That's already three billion. Yeah. Muslims forget it. Muslims uh, trouble. Okay. So now we have we're hated on all sides. Why? What happened? And the answer is there's tremendous assimilation. Whenever you have tremendous assimilation, the more assimilation you have, this you know it's anti you know it's contrarian. If you think about it, people think you know the more the Jews look different, they act different, the less hatred there should be. No, it's the other way around. The more the Jews integrate, it's like Jews everywhere now. I can't even see them; they're everywhere. So they, people go crazy. They just don't know how to deal with it. But it's all hatred. Yeah. So assimilation leads to anti-Semitism. Well, the Jersey It's ironic. It's ironic. It's, a, it's very ironic. Anyway, so what do we do? And the answer is, we have to strengthen ourselves. It's actually yesterday's parasha. Yesterday's parasha is the key to anti-Semitism, because Esav soneit Yaakov. Esav hates Yaakov. Rashi says it's a halacha. It's not something you can change. Imagine, think about it. Rashi says, you can't change it. Just built into the character of Esav is hatred of Yaakov. Nothing you can do. So you can try your best. You can be smiling and, hey, whatever it is. It's temporary. You have temporary reprieve. Reprieve is temporary. We have 70 years since the Holocaust. And now people are forgetting Holocaust. They want their hatred came back again. So it's amazing. Everything goes in cycles. And all we can do is we have to stick closer to Torah. We have to be closely involved in Torah because Hashem is the only one who can save us. Hashem is the only one who can save us. We've got to pray harder. We've got to learn harder. We've got to say more Tehillim. That is our secret of our success because Yitzhak already said, Hakol, Kol Yaakov. The voice is the voice of Jacob. The power of Jacob is in his voice. Yadayim Yudayi Esav. Esav's power is in his 
hands. But you know what? It's a big miracle. Because just above that supermarket, there were, there's a school. Mm-hmm. 50 little kids learning Torah. Right. 50 kids learning Torah. And they're saying now that was the main, that was what they tried. That's really where they wanted to go. They wanted to go and kill the kids. Because they had 300 guns or whatever. A lot of ammunition. So Baruch Hashem, Hashem saved. Hashem did a miracle. Tragic miracle. A tragic miracle. But it could have been much worse. And Bezrat Hashem, we won't see any more of these kind of actions. Colleges. Huh? The colleges are very bad. My granddaughter had to leave early for college, like closed down, because there were incidents in Syracuse. Yeah, all over the place, not just Syracuse. Look yeah. in New York. No. They caught a 13-year-old for killing an 18-year-old. Yeah. A little girl, poor girl, sweet girl, walking down the street. She was jogging. Israel feels safer every day. Yeah. It's safer or not safer? Because you got... You got hundreds, hundreds of millions of people who want to kill you. <laughs> Israel is surrounded. It's a miracle. It's the biggest miracle in the world. It's surrounded by two hundred billion Arabs who want to kill you. And there's hundreds of thousands of missiles. It's hard to imagine. I mean, a person needs real faith in God just to sit, sit there. Huh? It's so hard. It's so hard to even think about it. Don't think about it. Say, God, you're the one. That's it. Like King David. King David says, "God, you're the one. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. That's it. There's nothing else." So that's what we pray for every day. So we're praying for, number one, we're praying for wisdom. Number one thing to pray for. That was Shlomo Melech, right? Shlomo Melech. God says, you have one wish. Whatever you want. Wisdom. What does he say? Wisdom. Give me Chokmah. Actually, he asked for Bina. Give me Bina to judge your people. I want Bina to judge your people. I want understanding to be able to understand their psychology, to be able to judge them properly. And God said, since you ask for that, you're going to get everything. The key to everything is wisdom. Uh, people got to understand that. We've got to broadcast this. very good to broadcast this. The key to everything <coughs> is wisdom. And how does a person get wisdom? Yeah. Go to the three books of King Solomon. King Solomon wrote three books. I mean, he gave us a, he gave us a present. You want to know wisdom? Learn Mishle. You want to know wisdom? Learn Kohelet. That's where wisdom. He's, he's the wisest man. He wrote three books. So let's learn. So fantastic. He gave us the keys to wisdom. So why is wisdom the key to everything else? And the answer is because wisdom is, we talked about this, we said the parable is, wisdom is compared to the daughter of the king. If you marry the daughter of the king, you're going to be the next king. So Shalom Adach says, I want your daughter, Hashem. Give me your daughter. Your daughter is wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. So wisdom leads to teshuva. And Teshuvah leads to Slicha. So the first three prayers in the middle of the Shemonetzri. We need wisdom, we need uh, Teshuvah, and we need Slicha. So understanding leads to repentance, repentance leads to return to God, return to the Torah. Help us to draw closer to you, Hashem. That's what we want. Just as the duty of a father is to guide his children along the correct path, we ask Hashem to bring us closer. And we ask for forgiveness. Just like a father has mercy on his children, Hashem, have mercy on us. So we do Teshuvah instead of being punished. People don't realize that. There's a beautiful story, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir Balanes. Who is Rabbi Meir Balanes? He was one of the five students of Rabbi Kiva after the 24,000 students died. Twenty Imagine, 24,000 students died. He's an old man already. Akiva's an old man already. He was 80 years old. You're 80 years old, and you have 24,000 students, and all your students die. What would you do? 
Don't ask me what I do. So Rakiva says, you know what? I'll go to a different location and get new students. So he moves south. The Gemara says he moves south. He doesn't say exactly where he moves to south. And he got five students. And through those five students, a whole Torah comes. The whole Torah we have today, the oral law, the Mishnah, the Gemara, everything comes from his five students. All the Midrashim coming from his five students of Rabbi Kiva. This is the knowledge of Rabbi Kiva comes from his five students. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Laza ben Shamua. Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta. Rabbi Meir Balanes and Rabbi Huda Bar Elai. Five students of Rabbi Akiva. We get the whole Torah. So this is Rabbi Meir Balanes. Rabbi Meir Balanes is being bothered by his neighbors. He has terrible neighbors, Rabbi Balanes. The neighbors are bothering him, bothering him. He says, I had enough. Hashem, destroy my neighbors. I can't take them all. Kill them all! Don't try this. <laughs> His wife says, Meir, where do you get that from? That's not a Jewish concept. No, his wife's name was Bruria. The school in Elizabeth is named after Bruria. She was the daughter of Rabbi Ishmael Cohen Gadol. She was one of the daughters of Rabbi Ishmael. She was a genius. She, was a genius. she said, Meir, where do you get it? It's not a Jewish concept to pray for your neighbors to die. That's not a Jewish concept. So I get it from Pasuk. Pasuk in Tehillim. Yitamu chataim min aretz urshaim odinam. The sinners should die, and there be no more wicked people. So, mayor, it doesn't say sinners should die. It says the sins should die. Pray for them to change, and not bother you anymore. That's what you should be praying for. Not that they should die. Pray for them to change. So he started praying for them to change, and eventually they became his best students. So, can you imagine what a difference in the prayer, right? So instead of praying for people to die, let's pray for people to change. Let them all change their attitudes and love us instead of hating us. That's all. You don't want them to die. Want them to change. We should. They should all change. All our enemies should change, and that's what will happen at the end of the days. They're gonna. They're not gonna have a choice. All the nations of the world will accept the unity of God, and uh, under the kingship of God, Hashem speedily in our days. Hashem will see that in our days. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.